Hello and welcome along once again to the official Scottish Rugby Podcast. This week we've got a bit of a Super 6 focus, really. We've got Paul Mitchell and Hugh Dan McLennan, a couple of our commentators, rolling the roost over the first five weeks of the Fosrock Super 6 Sprint Series. And we're also joined by JP Doyle, Scotland Rugby's referee coach. Oh, great. Now to be joined by somebody who's joined Scottish Rugby fairly recently, JP Doyle, former international referee. I'm getting a smile. It is, it's almost as if you never know how you're going to be introduced as a former yeah, referee. It's great but, to be here. It's good, it's good, good to be on board. It's great Thank to have you on board. Now part of Scottish Rugby High Performance Referee Coach, you've got a, a big remit. There's a lot going on, but tell us what, um, I said, ultimately what the role is, how you see the, the role uh, shaping and, and, and your, your key aims for for getting involved with Scottish rugby. Yeah, this this role came up and it kind of it falls nicely into my wheelhouse of interest. So the elevator pitch is my role is to coach the, the high-end, top-end referees in Scotland for their on-field performance. So nice. whether that's uh, Holly Davidson doing a, a Women's Six Nations game, Mike Adamson doing a Men's Six Nations, or Sam Grove White or Ben Blade, those are the main four. But then also... Um, within that, the Super 6 and the development panel, and if the elevator is a bit longer, the, the the coaching of the coaches and the systems involved bringing people through. Something that jumps to my mind right away, you're obviously from a teaching background, an educational background as well. How different yeah. is it working or coaching with people who are at, towards the elite end than it would be if you were working with people who are maybe just starting out? Because it's a totally different skill, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's it's sort of the same. It's like asking a teacher, you know, I suppose if you if you were teaching A-level. So I, I taught uh, like biomechanics, PE, uh, biology. I, you know, taught that at A-level. You, you teach in a certain style, in a certain way. But then to teach year seven, year eight, mathematics, you're, mm-hmm. you're teaching with the same tools, but you're just pitching it slightly differently. So the idea is you have to have a good mastery over... The teaching techniques, you can be a poxy ref and be a great coach, maybe, <laughs> hopefully. But you, the most important thing is that you have you have an understanding of how to get someone on their journey from, from point A to point B. And there's there's a million books and studies out there yeah. on that, all about, you know, the different types of methodology you can use. What's your methodology? How do you get? I, I'm just the guide rails for the high end. So they, they have a great understanding of what they're doing. So we just build in options to how they get from A to B, right? You want to go from um, Super 6 into URC, into EPC, or you know, a lot of acronyms, uh, into <laughs> WR World Rugby, and then on to you know, World Cups in, in male, male or female, whatever it may be. We have to know what are the markers that get you there? What does that path look like? And then challenging them along the way, whether that's physically, whether that's emotionally, whether that's psychologically in all these areas, because refereeing, unfortunately, isn't just about 80 minutes of blowing your whistle, yes or no. It's about what you what you don't give. It's about the use of the TMO, your team of six or seven or eight on the day, controlling them. Because if your ARs and your TMOs aren't linked with what you're trying to do on the pitch, you'll get this. Uh, the term I was using today is you get these jarring decisions where the decision could be 100% right. But you think, whoa, that doesn't, that doesn't fit. That what the game happened or well that seems a bit harsh and when you hear commentators and I know you do a lot of work with the super six you can hear the commentator and they have to say oh that's a bit harsh okay I can go with the ref but it seems a strange decision and those jarring decisions can be right or wrong and not yeah. fit the game so that's that's sort of the how do we get people along we got to challenge them all these different ways that being right is not enough you have to be right in the right moment and that that process here you spoke about graduating up through the levels of referee that's something you've done um you've you know obviously graduated all through those uh from you know club referee to test referee rugby world cups you name it how much are you, the experiences that you had helps in your coaching or is the game traveling so quickly now i mean you you would have started without yeah TMO thanks support. Without TMO, yeah, and, yeah and, and, now, and then it's such a big part of it now so you use a lot TV of games experience. in the Premiership as well, which was well, nice. Yeah, yeah. And is that is it better? Was that better? Yeah, that? way better. Yeah, way I better. really. I, yeah, if you ask me, I like if you gave me now the opportunity to do a, a BT Sport game or a, a big game, not non telly. You take the non telly every day because of how you can massage and manipulate different bits. But the the analysts are always get you in the end. Yeah, you, you, I, you, I, your I, career I think, does it has, has it shaping you as a coach? Yeah, so, yeah, it does, and your teaching does. One of the one of the big 
and this was a great when I was um, started teaching. I lived with one of the guys I played rugby with and went to uni with um, a guy called Andrew McRae Smiler, and he was teaching year four. He's a year four teacher, and he was teaching maths. And he was terrible at maths. He didn't have a, a Scooby. And he, I actually was teaching in the same school in Richmond as a uh, part-time because I was full-time teacher. And I sat in on one of his maths lessons and he was outstanding. He was just brilliant. And I was sat at home having our pot noodle after training. And I said to him, Smiler, why, why are you so good at teaching maths here for? And he says, when the child, the pupil says, I don't get it. And it's really simple. It's a simple multiplication or a takeaway. He says, JP, you don't get it because you're good at maths. I get it because I'm terrible at maths. <laughs> so it's that empathy of understanding the different levels that really helps you. So being through the levels is really is, is important, but understanding why it hurts. Understanding like yeah. in your, and if I put it in your parlance, dropping that first high ball, mm-hmm. you understand what that means for the rest mm-hmm. of the game. Or catching eight in a row and dropping one, and then the next one coming along. Yeah. People say, well, you caught eight. What's the problem? The problem is I dropped one. Yeah. The problem is I missed one tackle six weeks ago and I can't get it out of my head. It's the same in refereeing. I didn't see the breakdown right this week for three occasions. Well, that's carrying through a ripple effect. So it's a bit like, like asking a player to become coach. The visceral um, kinesthetic experience is massive. Mm-hmm. But what's more important is understanding the role of education, understanding the role of the learner within that and the grow model you know taking people from one to the other anyone who's kind of done any reading will know about the grow model those sort of areas is something you can go in because as good or bad as i was a ref and there's plenty of people who can debate it i can't referee anymore i'm not on the pitch so it's no it's no relevance to what i would do on the pitch it's only relevant is how comfortable can i get my practitioner under the highball 10 minutes into the game, or more importantly, 72 minutes into the game. How good are you under that high ball? Because you can take eight and drop one and you feel terrible. It's fascinating, isn't it? So so that kind of grow model, that educational approach that you're taking, does that allow the referees to evaluate every decision they make in the moment and then use that to affect the next decision? Or is it almost ignoring the decision they've just made and focusing on the next one and leaving it more to kind of the work that's done beforehand. Our referees continually evaluate every decision you make. And everything, every decision you don't make and everything you say and everything you don't say because you wear a microphone and a camera on your chest. That's that's, that's really difficult, isn't it? Because you must second guess yourself. Well, how is it it any different than every out half, every ball he touches, every ball he doesn't touch, every tackle he makes or every tackle he doesn't make? It's the same. Like people say, oh, refereeing is hard. And I say, have you tried playing 10? I know. (laughs) You know, it's, it's horrendous. You know, number 10, people try and kill you when you have the ball. People try and kill you when you don't have the ball. It's, it's the worst position on the pitch. Play nine is much safer. So if, if we look at refereeing, there's two truths. And my Irish accent doesn't let me say that very well. Truths. What you give you think is right on the day. And what you've missed, you don't know. So the problem with refereeing is you've this total incomplete picture where everything you know, you don't know. You, you, need, you need the matrix. You need the blue pill to find mm-hmm. out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And the review is the way of letting you know, oh, okay, I see why this, this decision means this decision is inconsistent. You've somehow got to go from the unknown unknowns to the known knowns, the things you know you know. And that's a really tough transition because every clip I show a referee, that clip will never happen again. Yeah. That high ball in that place, that two-on-one on the outside, that defensive set is never going to happen like that again. So what you're doing is you're trying to build in kinesthetic, a touch feeling to what it was like being out there, a visceral feeling, that pit of your stomach. You know, uh, a lot of people talk about that the mind, the heart and the stomach being three systems mm-hmm. to draw information from. You got to connect them up. Every time you do or don't do something, you get a reaction. Do you try and review by putting yourself in the moment of the referee, because by the Tuesday, you've seen that moment time and time again. Yeah, it's not I, a one-off. Yeah. It's, it's not that you've had three or four slow mows and however yeah. many days to sleep in it. And you probably would change a decision often. So for you, is that what you mean by the kind of human element you're working with the referees, the empathetic element? You're trying to put yourself in the position that they're in at that exact moment to make the decision that's a pull moment. So you've got push information and pull information. Going back to the things you knew you know and they don't know. Everyone on a Monday, you can turn on Sky Sports NFL 
Exactly. And you can you, there's actually shows called the Monday Morning Quarterback <laughs> where they un, they they can pick they can find every wide receiver open on a Monday yeah. morning. Yeah. But in the heat of battle, it's hard to find those two and one. Yeah. So what you got to say is you got to ask them what what did you see here? First yeah. of all, give me your information, not my information from the TV. Tell yes. me your information. The next thing you go is what options did you consider? Because sometimes referees will give decisions because it's the only option they consider. But in reality, you could have given a penalty try or you could have just given a yellow card and a penalty. Would that have gone okay? Or do you know what? Could you let it have just played advantage and they would have scored off the next phase? There's always more reasons to do something than, ha ha, I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm a brilliant referee on a Tuesday morning, especially when <laughs> I didn't make any decisions. Also, what you got to remember is the referees have emotions tied to the decisions. So if, if it was a game-winning penalty and it was a bit scratchy and wasn't what we want, they're going to want to defend it because mm-hmm. they're emotional, their cognitive dissonance, their, 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 their id, their Freudian IQ will be stuck in that. So you have to remove the value of the decision away mm-hmm. and talk about the process. And once you take away the value, the weight on their shoulders can lift a bit because it's done, it's gone, we're now moving forward. So yes, we do right and wrong, but I kind of leave that to the reviewers and to other people. I'm the coach. coach. I'm the person to help them. If I can continually challenge them, make them better, make them more aware, the unknown unknowns reduced. And the way I measure it is I look to see how many good things they do in a game and try and count them. How many positives did you have? And this is really taken from the professional playing side. They do, a Conor O'Shea did a lot around this in Harlequins, that if you stack a positive upon a positive upon a positive, led to a scoring opportunity. And three negatives did the same in reverse. So if we could stack good refereeing moments, and that can be saying, yeah, take a step number six and you create space, mm-hmm. or that could be setting up the line out well, or that could be moving into position at the next breakdown so that the guy doesn't jackal when he shouldn't because you're in a good spot. Or that could be making a live decision. You keep stacking those goods up. It reduces the the negative decisions, the positives increase, and your percentage chance of being successful extrapolates your marginal gains, your aggregated gains. Is that not, and I'm putting a kind of player's hat on here, is that not exactly what experience is? Do you learn to remove emotion? You do learn to get one or two you know, things right in a row to put in a position to have a clearer head, to make a clearer decision, a better decision. You have to be doing the right things, obviously, but the more you do, the better you get. There's some decisions I know are wrong. I, I got a, I, get, I did a game at Twickenham, Harlequins, Gloucester, and Greg Leglaw, who I always use in my talk, is one of the nicest, best guys in the world, but the most difficult guy to referee. You know, was Martin Johnson hard? Or was this guy hard? Or back he's both at, no, Greg Leglaw Greg. was the most intimidating guy I ever refereed because he'd no teeth, he'd a beard. I couldn't understand a word he was saying. And he was really aggressive. And I thought he, he probably could beat me up. Is it looking so, in the middle, JP? And he was very, very smart. I remember at the end of a Gloucester game, Quinn's, Quinn's foot came in. Tim Sweel kicked the ball out of a guy's hand. And I remember for weeks and months, and even now thinking about it, trying to find a reason why I was right to, that it wasn't a penalty. Now, absolute penalty. Gloucester should win the game. Quinn's lose the game. But I couldn't get myself emotionally, no matter how clear I knew it in my head, my cognitive dissonance, the amount of value I'd put in, and I'd refereed my best game, however bad that was, mm. up to that point. And this was 82 minutes on the clock, and you make a boo-boo. And... You're just so tied up in wanting it to be right that you have to step back. There was ways I could have got it right on the pitch, but I didn't have enough value added at that time to get there. And it's my job to get these guys experienced vicariously, not through here's what I did in the past, but here's a technique. And I'm going to teach it to you. You're not even going to know about it, but then you're going to use it on the pitch. And while I'm at home here watching you know, sitting in my office here and I can watch my Super 6 game or my APCR game, I can have my popcorn and sit back and go, I've had a great influence in that game because there's <laughs> someone doing something positive. And I see it a lot in Super 6 at the moment. I see inexperienced referees making positive mistakes, mm-hmm. which sounds crazy, but I know you've commentated on it a lot and you see it. Yeah, yeah. Guys, they're trying to make that game better. They're not trying to move to the next level, oh, I'm too good to referee this game. They're trying to make that game in front of them, Burramier versus Air, a better game mm-hmm. for that game. And that's the heart and soul DNA of the referee that we're building. 
See, that's good to know. And I suppose, would that approach hinder the referee's progression? It should promote, it should improve the progression. I, we here in the SOU are coaching from a slightly different uh, lens. It would be the modern terminology where it's coaching through a different lens. Scotland play on a different way under Gregor than Ireland do under Andy Farrell. It doesn't mean, you know, Gregor isn't a better coach than this guy or that guy. It's just different lenses. And in refereeing, it feels in past histories that this is the way you referee. Mm. This is the way you talk. Captain, come here, please. I'm going to discipline you. Blah, blah. Like you, Captain Scotland, how many times Mm. did you ever really want to talk to the ref? No. (laughs) <laughs> didn't want so to talk what, to me. My question to the referees is, why are you calling that guy out? He doesn't yeah. want to talk to you. Yeah. Just tell him. Do that again and you're gone. The time he did want to talk to them, just say, no, not now, not now. When you came in uh, just earlier on the year, the, the press was said you were going to help the, the technical side, but also the human side. And I think in really here in this 20-minute, you know, 15-minute chat, the human element, as a coach, as an educator, but also as a referee, and I think players respond really well to that. We were talking earlier about the Super 6 and I think the product's excellent in terms of the players wanting to play uh, and scoring tries. And it, it's, um, you know, there is, seems a lot more space in the field than, than some of the other games we see at the moment. But that probably is down to the way it's being refereed as well. So, Well, it's um, additive. I, I yeah. think it, it, it 100% starts with players. I, I would never take any uh, kudos for what players do brilliant. They Brilliant players do brilliant things. And all we want to see is when there's a chance for the referee to add value to something that already has value, we want them to take that chance. It's if, if two teams want to kick the ball down the field to each other and have 50 scrums, that's up to them. We've, uh, we've been asked in the Super 6 and teams have, have said to us, we would like to play. Mm-hmm. We've now tried to give them that template, but they've grabbed it. Mm-hmm. So the, the kudos is all with them. They've grabbed it. They've played it. And the amount of rugby, the amount of tries from the other side of 50-meter line has been sensational. First phase scores from 60, yeah. 70 meters, launch plays off scrums. You know, we've seen some some uh, second center play has been really the highlight of that league for me. Some uh, some real attacking wingers, some big wingers out there. Yeah. But I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed, I think all teams, all, all six teams, even the teams down the, the lower end of the log have played and they've played mm-hmm. to a really high level. Is it more difficult to referee? I know we talk about difficulty in comparing it to players, but now for a referee, say, I a Guinness Six Nations match or an EPCR final at the weekend, what's the mindset the referees going into? Is it a positive mindset or is there a, is there a fear of getting a big moment wrong? Where do you think that... I know you can't answer for everybody, but you're, where do you... You're, pray, you're praying for that lucky bounce. If you get a 36-15 game, it yeah. doesn't really matter how much you screw up because it's kind of fine. So I say a one score within one score game. Even if it's 14, 15, 16 points or even 18 points, you're one score away from it turning to being one possession one away from a one score game. Yeah. And that, and with the bonus points and everything involved, you're constantly, you, you never get that free ride to the end of the game. It's very rare you get that last 20 minutes of sailing. So you have to referee in that first 60 minutes in a manner that allows you to referee consistently for the last 20. Mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, when you were younger in the early 2000s, the referee arrived, he blew 10 penalties in the first 20 minutes or 15 minutes and then put his whistle in his pocket. Oh, yeah. I've set you the standards. There you go. And then by the end of the game, it's chaos. And you knew the referee wasn't going to do anything. That was kind of the old school approach. <laughs> now it's about whatever you do because of analysis, whatever you do in second 11, 79 minutes, 15 seconds, you have to do the same. same thing. You have to remember that from two hours ago or one hour, 48 minutes ago with half times and everything else. So you have to be able to say, I know how I referee and I know how I want to referee this game for this game's sake so I can have a successful outcome. I talked to the guys about your chips are on the table. Mm -hmm. You are in Vegas. You are betting. You're on the roulette table. Mm -hmm. The better you are at controlling what you can do is you can cover that roulette board a bit more with more chips and you've more Mm -hmm. chance of winning. If not, you're like the chip in a chair, all in on almost on green double zero, and you're hoping something comes up. You know, so the better prepared you are, the more you understand what you need to do and how you need to do it. But in the game, the saying ACH, anything can happen. Yeah. So there's almost no point preparing for the game. You're better preparing for what you're going to do in your way. And if they understand what Mike Adamson's going to do in the game or what Ben Blaine's going to do in the game, they'll play to that. And then you can ref to that. 
So the more consistent you are over a longer time, stacking moments, stacking games. If we were sitting at home or you're watching the TV, you're almost constantly referring to the binary law book, the black and white. Yeah. And it's it's not, it's so difficult in terms of flow. Do you think that the scrutiny referees are under now is fair because they don't have replays? Yeah, they don't 100%. Have... Let, yeah, let, them, let them eat cake, you know. You, you, if, if you want to be out there, do you think it's fair the scrutiny? Uh, London Irish lost a, um, um, a cup final there the other day, I saw, and the kicker missed uh, four kicks. And he has a 90, Paddy Jackson has a 90% record all year. And he just had a horror show. Mito Pereira, the mm. poor fella, He's winning the USPGA for 71 holes and has a squirrely drive on 18 and loses. That's that's professional sport. That's scrutiny. If you if you don't want to be scrutinized, there's plenty of local rugby you can do and have a great time. What, what professional if the, sport, you're paid, you pay the price. And that's what if the, I guess what I'm getting at is what if the scrutiny of the referee is wrong though? If somebody's not accurate in their criticism of a referee... Yeah. What about this, the more subjective stuff? Who should play 10? Who should be the outside centre? Number seven, this guy, that guy. Which which should be tight head lock second row? You know, goal kicking is easy. But, that, but that's, opi- that's opinion, though, rather than Correct. dealing with And, and rugby, rugby is subjective, not... Or, sorry, refereeing is subjective, not objective. So that's is, that the the, is, that, is that one of the biggest messages to get out then? Absolutely. Yeah. Subjective. Yeah. I think this guy's great. Why do you think he's great? Because we won. Yeah. <laughs> It's subjective. <laughs> I think he's terrible, right? Because you lost. But stack good moments, stack evidence of, of doing things right for the game in front of you in the right way. Let me see your heart. Let me see your soul on the pitch. We talk about head, heart, stomach. Let me see all that on the pitch. You know, and you can do that sternly or nicely. And there's a million different ways of going about it. But bring me on that journey with you. If you yellow card a guy, I don't have to agree with it. I just have to believe in you. That's the big difference. You know, I might have said, oh, penalty only. You might have said yellow card. Yeah. I just have to find a reason to agree with you. And yeah. you have to bring me on that journey. And that's that's what I expect of referees. Well, you've certainly got a passion for it. You've not lost any of the passion, GP. It's still no. there, but you're um, involved with uh, this weekend as well, amongst other things. It's a game development conference. Yeah. BT Murrayfield, you're presenting at that. And you were yeah. saying before, you're presenting to... Is it to everybody? Or is it just referees? Is it coaches? No, it's it's you can sign up. There's there's different there's different um, uh, sessions on at different times of the day, and and it, all the people who register can can choose who they want to go and see. Whether it's nutrition or a referee, m- m- obviously mine is empty, and all the coaches and players have are the busy one. But I'm doing two sessions: one on the different types of tackle, which. I'm sure your listeners will be thinking, well, there's one, you tackle a guy, you put him on the ground, but there's sort of 12 to 14 different variations, depending on uh, how many are in the tackle, you know, aggressive, passive, whether there's a second ball carrier, whether there's a high, low hit, ball focus, near go Will you be presenting what your, what your process would be if a tackle like that happens in the game, like where your eye goes first, what's the first thing to look at? Is it tackle Correct. roll away? Is it? second man in yeah so we yeah. talk about it'll be sort of your basic abc so which is your your tackler your ball carrier your arriving players which is mm-hmm. thing but then bringing them on to learn that you know abc turns into bac which yeah, turns yeah. into cba depending on the dominance and how things are going and that's that's and how the ball carrier's body position is relative and then we're doing on a session later which is a more chalk and talk about you know, what do I expect of referees? So that'll be for seven and a half hours. We will be covering. <laughs> At least. <laughs> we will be covering what is refereeing? What what do, what do I look for? What are we looking to see? What is a top performance? Mm-hmm. And I think you can see with my over-talking that uh, I love all this stuff and it's it's fascinating. No, it's great to have you on board. It's, uh, it is fascinating. I mean, we've never even got to laws and current trends oh, what are they? exactly those. Those there's are, a, a, a changes are. and trends I mean there's so much here. we've not even got to head contact process all the bits, bits and pieces so we'll definitely get back on and, and pick your brains a little further one thing before we go the Argentina versus England or the England versus Argentina Sevens yeah. at the weekend there was a big debate around whether the English player should have touched the ball down I, I was always under impression when I played it was the referee would tell me listen come on get the ball oh, down uh, yeah uh, that- that's what I that's what I yeah. Let, take the eye out of that right okay so the situation happened the player runs down the pitch they the players are very smart they're very where everyone goes players don't know everyone knows these guys <laughs> are professional they go out they know the scenarios he got the message as he's running through boom boom, boom. okay qualified. so what's happening now players under pressure from coach mm-hmm. so there's an influence that's an influence from his coach 
Mm-hmm. Argentina not chasing back, which is very counterintuitive for them. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a coaching input there. There's a leadership input. The referee doing or not doing that. And it was the Scottish referee, wasn't it? It was Finn Brown. So you're looking at, right, well, what's the coaching input there? What are they allowed to do? What are they not do? How close do we stick to the law book? So there's a melting pot. You can't just, and I know there was, you know, people voicing opinions on Twitter, which is, you know, always really brave and all that. But you can't just say it's A or B without understanding the whole dichotomy of, of what's going on there. I have a visceral reaction, which is probably similar to yours as anyone else when we look at that clip, but there's more to it. There's context, there's, there's, uh, there's texture, there's subtlety to what's going on. Now, there'll be an outcome from it, but of course there will. We all know that. We've seen mm-hmm. these things a million times over, whether it's the caterpillar rook or the, mm-hmm. the, the, the uh, Italy, England, no rook. You know, there's, always a, there's always people to do this, and we know what we'd like to do, but should we say that? Should we come out and just voice it on Twitter? Probably not. I think it happened to me a couple of times. I was always told to put the ball down. Of course, I said, yes, sir. I, I can remember a million versions on sevens where it happened. And I can remember when um, Wales, Ireland, the 2018 Grand Slam decider, Stephen Jones yeah. kicked and it fell just short of the post. Yeah. And there was X seconds left. So Jordan Murphy caught the ball under the post and ran off very slowly to the That's end right, goal. Wasn't GPS? So these things are always nerds like me, rugby pigs like me. will always remember the, the different we'll occasions. Always get them. Well, we'll always we'll pick that brain again. But listen, good luck at the weekend. Um, no great to have you on board. Great to chat, and we'll no doubt talk again soon. Thanks, JP. No problem. Thanks. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by um, some colleagues, uh, well-known colleagues. Uh, I've got Paul Mitchell and Hugh Dan McLennan, both big supporters of the Fosrock Super 6, heavily involved in Fosrock Super 6. We've uh, we've covered a few games and a few hours and a few minutes over the last couple of years, so we thought it was great just to uh, to invite along the podcast and, and get your your thoughts, really, on the, the sprint series so far this year. Hugh Dan, I'll start with you. Watsonians, unbeaten, top of the table. I, have you have you covered the Watsonians? No, I haven't yet, no, but no. Uh, I've seen some clips off them. But, uh, I mean, the, the stats don't lie. I mean, you look at the league yeah. table, they're five for five, and you have to say that somebody's going to have to take points off Watsonians, clearly, mm-hmm. because they've established mm-hmm. themselves as as front runners. You know, from the very point they beat Ayrshire Bulls in the first day of the season in the sprint series, you could tell there was something going on there. So they, they seem to have got their act together. They're in good shape. And uh, mm-hmm. I think, looking ahead, I'm guessing that the match between Watsonians and Stirling, um, you know, could be the one on the 10th, could be the big one. Well, we'll see. That's, uh... It might not be. <laughs> it might not be. Well, who knows? Well, that, that's the beauty of it. That, that, that is, yeah. You know, last yeah, year and sure. this year, and you can, can see each team going on a bit of a journey, each team finding almost like a niche as to, you know, the, the competitive nature and then getting over the hurdle of winning. Burnham Bears would come under that. I, I think, Paul, I know we've, we've covered Burnham Bears together. They, they're a team who have maybe gone on that journey really hard to play against, but maybe haven't had the rewards that they deserve until the last couple of weeks. It's, it's the first time they've won, they've won two in a row. So they, they're, they've somebody we've always been impressed by as well. I've really enjoyed covering Muir because there is a certain spirit about them and you could argue Chris there's a spirit about all these teams and I think if we're going to take what is positive about Super 6 Rugby I think it's the approach of all Mm -hmm. six teams Mm -hmm. because and I hope I'm not talking out of turn here I think the coaches put more on the performance than the actual result and I don't think we get that at other levels of rugby where I think the result is everything how you achieve that result is everything. And I think if you're going to play like that, there's going to be an acceptance, you know, amongst those, you know, from the clubs and groupings that are supporting the coaching. You've got to have that ethos. If the point of the Super Six is mm-hmm. to bridge the gap between the domestic game and the professional game, I think it's doing its job. And there you've got to let people learn. And what what's attracted me to it, Chris, is there's been very little what I would class negative rugby. Yeah. There yeah. seems to be a willingness for everybody to do their job, for everybody to go out. We, we could spend all day whether sport's supposed to be an entertainment business or mm-hmm. a sports business. But if you watch, you know, for example, the Lions and the Springboks, which would make your eyes bleed, <laughs> the Super Six has been refreshing. You can win rugby being ugly. Let's be honest. Yeah. We've seen it from England before. We've seen it, you know, from, from the Springboks. I want to watch rugby and be entertained. And every time I rock up to a Super 6 venue, I think it's a pretty good chance of me being entertained. And that's what I really like about it. And you're getting a nice mix of experienced players Mm -hmm. playing with the younger players. 
Now, you could say, well, why don't we do away or have an under-23 league or something? I don't think you learn from that. I think you're learning from the guys who've been in club rugby for sort of five, ten years, now getting the chance to step up and play at a high level. They're probably not going to turn professional, but they are doing their service for Scotland in bringing on some of these younger players because, you know, there's scatterings of Edinburgh and Glasgow players, under-20 internationals all around. I, I think this has been terrific. What would have disappointed me if we would have had a negative brand of rugby? I've seen that nowhere. Now, that, that's there's so many important points you make there, including the, the ability or the, or the opportunity for young players to play, but not only in, as you say, an age-grade setting. It, it, you are up against hardened you know, club people who've played, who've, who've maybe played international rugby as well, as, as, as really hard club rugby. So many quality points, and I, I totally agree. I, I think I look forward to the games, I enjoy the games, and it's, is that the way that rugby's actually going? I think the way Leinster, let's say the top team in the moment, the way they play, if you look at Harlequins winning the, the Premiership in England last year, was we'll outscore you. You know, there, there's there's been a, a definite security or safety first kind of element to rugby for a long time. Do you think that rugby's following along that, that train? Do you think it's getting more exciting to watch, to cover? Yeah, I think it is. And Paul mentioned that he used the word bridging. And I suppose the sprint series is, again, a bridge between last year and, yeah. and this coming season. And you can see, you know, okay, the, the Southern Knights have been a, have been particularly challenged because they lost, uh, they lost a lot of players, didn't they? After players. So that actually has been a massive learning curve for them. And you would, you would like to think that they've benefited from it in the sense that they've had to fill these holes with decent players have come in in their place. They've been on the wrong end of a few results. And again, you know, their points against tally shows how difficult mm-hmm. it's been. And they're way off the pace in terms of points. They're, they've only got one point and everybody else is 12 and above. So again, that doesn't lie. But what, what's impressed me most about the this particular series is my experience at Sterling. You and I did the Baramir Bears game mm-hmm. and uh, I left one of my good pens on, on the table. <laughs> at the game. So I actually, uh, you know, the whole atmosphere and the result was was quite a night anyway. I went back on the Saturday morning to get my my pen was there, funnily enough. <laughs> uh, but the place was absolutely heaving with kids. I mean, mm-hmm. everywhere, you know the the, the layout there where yeah. you have all the side pitches uh, underneath the Wallace Monument. There wasn't a pitch that wasn't crawling with kids of all ages, shapes and size from, uh, I would say, about five up teenage boys, girls, ever, everywhere, mm-hmm. and families. And the car park was stowed out. And I thought, you know, there's the model. They, they put a lot of effort into the Friday night. Mm-hmm. They're putting a lot of effort into the field, the actual game plan, and they're getting the results. I think that, you know, they've come on a good run in the last few games and they're playing a really nice style. Look at what they did last Saturday, seven tries. People will rock up to watch seven tries from your, your own team. That's what they want. If you talk about Stellan Paul, you and I are on duty on, on Friday night at Bridge Hall. Again, looking forward to it again. As I said, a, a cracking night that night that, that Hugh Jan spoke about. If you could organise the weather as it was that night, it'll be even better. <laughs> Stellan face air uh, at second versus third. The, 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 the Foz Rock Super 6 splits into you know, top three, bottom three. So the top three were Watsonian, Stirling and Ayr, and the bottom three, Heretz, Baramuir, Southern Knights. So last weekend, you had Stirling versus Heretz for that crucial position to be in the top three or the bottom three. Stirling, after a, a slowish start, really, you know, took hold. What do you expect this weekend when, when they face Ayr? Because Ayr have been exceptional at times, but also probably a bit frustrated with their own performances at times. Would, would you agree, Paul? Yeah, I think that that's a very fair assessment. We, we watched them play... You know, the Boromir Bears, Boromir took the lead in that and Ayrshire mm-hmm. had to come from behind. So they've got that in their locker. They can come from behind. I watched the the, the Heriot's visit to Stirling County and uh, despite the boy who was talking about the game and describing it, um, <laughs> it was a very, very enjoyable one. <laughs> only saying that because it was Hugh Dad. Um, <laughs> it was a very enjoyable game to watch. And I think, you know, and from a televisual point of view, you, you need a touch attractive rugby to watch yeah. people are not going to sit and watch a bad product it's hard to get people to get out their seats and go to a game you know for the casual television viewer you f- you flick on i mean i couldn't believe the number of tries that were being yeah. run in and it wasn't bad rugby either i mean you dad you watched it it wasn't bad rugby it wasn't defensive lapses it was good quality rugby it was thoughtful rugby and i'll tell you what, i'll watch that any day yeah, and you go back to what you said earlier, the, the, the mix of players, you know, you, you've got guys appearing in some of these teams that are 17, and then you've got the likes of last Saturday, for example, Sean Kennedy appears at Scrum yeah. with his fancy haircut, 
and he gets two, two tries. But it was quite obvious how he managed the game and how the people round about him would learn an enormous amount from that. They had the two big Glasgow wingers on either side. So they had all that kind of strength and depth that they brought to play. The actual team they put out is going to be very interesting, whether they stick with that formation. But the brand of rugby they play, and, and their number eight, Benedict Grant, he was just, I mean, a crackerjack. He was all over the place. I mean, the, the doctor had a hang of a job persuading them to go off. He, he loved it. I mean, the, the, the way he played epitomised, I think, the way a lot of this, the Super 6 games have been played. And when was the last time you saw a yellow card? So the referees, we spoke, yeah. you know, Bruce and I spoke about the refereeing last Saturday. The communication levels are, are way up, I think, certainly from last year. I think they've all got the hang of it. They know what they're doing. But it's this willingness to have a go that you don't see when there's so much pressure on having to win and having to move up a table and so on. Yeah, that's a big part of it as well. The referee development, the official development, the coach development, as well as all the player development. It's expose them to making big decisions under pressure. And yeah, I totally agree. It's going well. Logan Trotter, I know, has stuck out for you, Hugh Dan, as well. Scored again last weekend, but he, he's somebody in the Stirling side. Would you say he's kind of the pick out so far in the, well, yeah. the Stirling side? He's the best individual rugby player I've seen um, in the games I've done. I mean, I can't speak mm. for games I haven't seen his poise, his natural, his flair for the enjoyment. I mean, he had a big smile on his face at the try he got on Saturday. He's at, he's at a couple of Player of the Match awards. And he's playing rugby for fun, but seriously. Mm-hmm. And he's playing in a team that gives him the ball and gives him the opportunity. And I've rarely seen, it's a long time, I'm sure you're a better judge of this than I am. It's a long time since I've seen anyone in the Scottish game who has that extra effortless acceleration. We saw it, I think, in the... In yeah, the he's could have tried in the short side, didn't he? Running quickly anyway, and then he seemed to have another mm-hmm. gear that just mm-hmm. appeared from nowhere. Well, one, of, one of the players he'll be up against who's got that similar speed and acceleration is Elias Caven. Mm-hmm. Paul, he, he's been sharp. It pops up with important tries, Harry's defenders, and really quick on that left thing for air. So uh, the pair of them will be, will be meeting on Friday night. Yeah, funnily enough, I was going through the games that I've done in the, the Super 6 and in the Sprint Series, and that's two of the names that I wrote yeah. down. They're just great players to watch. I mean, Logan Trotter, at any level of any sport, if you're making it look easy, uh-huh. then then you're you're begging to be taken to the next level and to be challenged at that next level. And, and he's making a name for himself. And I think that's what a lot of these younger players can do in this situation. Because we know the, the, the Scotland coaching team are watching all these games closely. They're looking to see how players react. And I mentioned it before, but there's a difference between playing age-grade rugby and playing proper senior rugby. And I think, you know, there's one or two other players that, that are like that scattered around. That, that's what gives you a lot of hope for the future. It's been a fantastic series for hookers. Uh, Corey Tate, you're going to say. Corey Tate, I'm going to yeah. see because we yeah. were talking about well. Mark and all that stuff. And he had an absolute blinder. And he's one of these guys. He's he's kind of like Benedict Grant in the sense that he'll appear in one corner in one second and then next minute he's defending at the other corner at the opposite end. And then he's he's ball juggling and he's dribbling and he's doing, you know, whatever. And he's because they're now using this rolling mall from the line that so many hookers are scoring tries, they're doing that for fun now as well. You know, but he he's he's a guy I'd really like to see taking the next step up. Well, he's still under eighteen at the moment. Yeah, I know so, exactly. Yeah, and, and performing yeah, physically, his his defence has been outstanding as well. Yeah. He's just energy, energy yeah. everywhere. And I was amazed when I realised he was eighteen. Anybody else caught your eye, Paul, in the games that you've covered? Well, I think you know, there's a few players called Tate kicking around the league, isn't there? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you look you look at you know. You know, Corey Tate, you look at Aaron Tate, you know, they're, they're Reese Tate. You know, there's a lot of these guys that, that catch the eye. You know, Jack Mann at Heriot's as well is another is another young player that's caught the eye in the games that I've done. I've done two of the, the sprint series. You know, Jack Mann, just, he's just got constant motion at, at yeah. times. You know, for, for a back row player, it's exactly what you want. And the example of playing with players like Ian Wilson and Jason Hill is doing him the world of good. Um, so, you know, these these are the players that kind of catch the eye. I often think it's, and, and you can tell me otherwise, I think it's easier for backs to shine. Yeah. You know, we, we, we talked about these guys, and that's why I was delighted about Hugh Dan bringing up the hookers there, because, yes, you see them in the, you know, the, at the back of the rolling mall, but, you know, the quality of the throwing, you know, the quality of your scrummaging, 
you know, all of these are, are, are kind of harder to evaluate mm. at times. And that's why it's easier sometimes, you know, to show off as a, as a back. There are so many good players. I mean, the games I was, I think Harry Bothick yeah. in the nights have been yeah. tough, but he, he's consistently performed as well. Uh, Robbie McCallum always has in, in that midfield for, yeah. for Burnham U. I think Josh King's a young back row as well at Burnham who just real hard working. So it's a, it's a brilliant opportunity for these players. We've spoken about Heriot. They got off to a good start. Yeah, I was disappointed with them on Saturday. I thought they would have done better, you know, and, and particularly because Sterling got off to such a slow start. I don't think Heriot's made as much of the chance they had in that game. I, th- I thought they could have done a bit better. I mean, they, they're a very good front row. Another good hooker, Michael Linus, and then McLaren mm-hmm. is outstanding, you know, the tight head as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Ian Wilson, Sadak, Leishman, these are good players, you know, but Sterling... So were they just beaten by Sterling who were in better form? Yes, or, or, Sterling, or Sterling just outscored them. It yeah. was a case of you score one, we'll go up and we'll probably get two more. But when you look at the, the back three, they've got Pecure, Ross Jones and Jack Blaine. I mean, that's some experience in there. Yeah. And in the middle, Robert Kay's a fine, fine player. Niall Godsmark's been around the block with the sevens. You know, we're looking at high quality players all of a sudden, a good step up and they're beginning to gel. And you, you mentioned when they started the championship last year, remember they hadn't played for 18 months. That's the thing, yeah, yeah. So Even this, when they started the championship this year, or the sprint series this year, they hadn't had a lot of rugby as well since the you know the, the culmination of the last one. Have, have you seen much of Heritage, Paul? Yeah, I saw them against the, the the Bears. They took control of the game. You know, uh, you know Jack Blaine. You know with a try, Gregor Tate with a try. You know they, they took control after about twenty five minutes in that game. The thing with with Heritage, I think Andy Kelly. I think he might be one of the more frustrated coaches because. They seem to get a good win and then then yeah. take a step back. I mean, they were the first team to beat Watsonians at Myerside, okay. 21-20 in a cracking game. But they just, I don't seem to think they make that little leap forward mm-hmm. at times. I mean, Heriot's, when I, when I saw him against Burham Muir, what was, what was interesting was Christine had dropped down yeah, from Edinburgh right, yeah. to play. Now, that could have gone one of two ways. You could have got a disaffected player who was not too happy coming down. But I think what on that day Chris showed, and, and he played really, really well, I think he might have set a template for other players at Edinburgh and Glasgow who have to come down to find their fitness that there's a job that they can do. I mean, Absolutely. Christine could have been in the huff, let's be honest, <laughs> but he wasn't. He was terrific. He was a real professional. He slotted in well. And again, you could see the interactions with other players and players players learning. I think Heriot's just need that little bit of consistency. And I think, I mean, I can't speak you know, for Andy Kelly, but I would just think that they don't get the sort of second result, you know, to back up yeah. a really good result. Yeah, it's interesting, it'll be interesting to see what Sterling learned from the, the couple of tries they lost close to the line. I think there was a couple of gaps appeared there. And because the experienced guys like Ian Wilson, they, they could see that. They, you know, they, they shattered a couple of the defensive lines and Ben Cairns will have sorted that by this Saturday. He'll have analysed that to the nth degree. But there were a couple of weaknesses there that they will have to address. But again, I think the principle they operate on is, OK, we conceded that one. Let's go up the other end yeah. and we'll balance it out. Yeah, well, Heritage, don't play this weekend. It's to say Friday night, Stirling versus Ayr, and then Burnham Bears versus Southern Knights on Saturday. The Knights, we said, have lost a few players, blooded a few new players, scored some exciting tries. I thought that heavy defeat at the Green Yards when they came up against Ayr, Ayr were exceptional, almost yeah. like a professional level in terms of their execution, their tempo, the physicality. They were excellent. So the Knights will be frustrated, haven't had that first win yet. Opportunity, obviously, in, in the next couple of games I've got. But as we touched on earlier, primarily due to the, the number of experienced players that have moved on, or or is it unlucky, or is it the, some more they need to work on, you think? I personally think it's primarily, and it has to be, the, the number of players. And I think that's probably reflected on the, on the touchline as well, and that maybe the, the crowd's lost a bit of heart because they've seen these players go away and they're, they're a wee bit confused about what's going on and why did it happen and reluctant to turn out. And then as soon as you get into the trough where you lose games, you know, people become disaffected. But I don't think they've, they've been lucky in many respects. I mean, they have mm-hmm. strung some good passages of play together when I've been watching them and, and they have, you know, they, they got some of the big fellas like Borthwick and Redpath and Sutton, mm-hmm. 
These are big guys who can mix it with the best of them. The problem is they can't play 80 minutes and you know, as a as a unit, and their depth has been tested incredibly. So it's no surprise they're at the bottom, but it is a surprise they're so far off the pace. They deserve better, to be honest. Well, that's a learning, isn't it? And, and don't forget the I think they lost their first two in the championship last year and went right to the final and you know, came within a you know a, a whisker of winning. They have scored some pretty Sparkling tries as well, Paul. And even even Friday night against Baron Muir, a couple of tries I'd say it was an open game, but that ability to score is still there. We just probably need to tighten up defensively a bit. I, I think that's fair, and I think that's what they did last year with the start they had. You know, they went on to beat Watsonians and Stirling mm-hmm. County. That's that's only a year ago. The attacking side of the ball to me isn't their concern. They just look very, very lightweight when they're trying to defend. They get stretched very easily as well. And these things are hard to work upon. I think you know, flicking through the scores, they probably lost more than anybody else. You're coming up against teams that have lost very little. They lost people like Jason Baggett, for example, mm-hmm. with so much experience and, and game plan knowledge. You can't replace that by just getting somebody off the shelf unless you're very lucky. But, you know, they, they are in attack. You know, when they've got players like Patrick Anderson, mm-hmm. uh, Paddy Anderson, Ian Sim, Kieran Clark, Jacob Henry, I mean, that's that's like a four by 100 metres team for anyone. You, know, you, could, you could put that to represent Scotland in the Commonwealth Games and they'd probably do quite well, you know. They're the fastest thing in two feet, but they might not be defensively the best that you, you can get. So they've got work to do there. And if, if the Super 6 sprint series is doing yeah. its job, these guys will be better when it comes to the championship later in the year and the team will be better and they won't be sitting on the bottom with just one point. You know, there's loads of talent there and getting that exposure to what you need to do to win is really important. As you say, it could be a, a good precursor for the, the championship late in the year. The, the final team to kind of focus on is the team at the top, Paul Watsonians, just really efficient and they know how to win. They're hard to play against. You know, Fergus Pringle does have you know a lot of uh, continuity from, from last season. I think last season they'd be frustrated with how they started looked really positive and then fell away. Just probably lost games towards the end of the championship last year that they didn't, uh, that they shouldn't be losing. But they, they've they've learned from that and they're they're looking strong this time round. Twenty three points top of the table. Yeah, I mean, I had a feeling sort of midway through the the championship that that they'd be going to the final. That yeah, there was no doubt in my mind. I think that there was frustration there for, from Ferguson and his coaching team that they did throw a couple of games away. Not obviously not intentionally but there was games there to be won yeah. and and they couldn't get quite over the line so they didn't replicate that form of previously and I have to say that they would have been my pick looking at the squads going across seeing who was still there they would have been my pick did I expect them to be unbeaten? No but they they certainly would have been the side that I would have been would have fancied and I'm looking forward I've watched a couple of the, the highlights packages they just look like probably the most complete team they just seem to have an understanding of what they're trying to do and it makes them very good to watch Well they recruited Baggett Lee Miller of course back from injuries a fantastic 10 and, and really you know, good in that area Harry Patterson's played well at the back they've got a big pack Joe Reynolds in the midfield there's a lot of experience there so I don't know have, have you seen any of the games you Dan? I'm a big fan of Baggett I think you know he's not the fastest thing in two feet but he's a very very, very good rugby brain and he can manage a game and he's a great kicker you know he's exceptionally steady and I think the game in fact this is the next game I'm doing at Milbury um, schools against Watsonians I don't think they can be undefeated and I think going to Milbury is probably the most difficult match they'll have I agree because it's a tough old place to go but I thought you know the, the Watsonians attack last week was excellent at Milbury one of the things I've noticed, and Bruce and I spoke about it last Saturday, is a lot of the games we've been doing are suffering from this disruption and interruption round about the hour mark where we start to get this. It happens at all levels of rugby. And I don't think that most I don't think most of the teams have mastered yet how to transition once they bring particularly big changes in the pack and the referee mm-hmm. has to start lecturing the front rows and the, the scrums, you know, I, I know you're an expert in the scrums, so you can tell us why that happened. Absolutely. Um, it, it's the one disappointing element, and I think the coaches need to work a wee bit, maybe the players need to work a wee bit more on how the bench becomes more influential but doesn't disrupt the flow of the game because a few teams are stumbling at the hour, and that can cost you a game. But if you can transition, when you bring all these people on, you've got a be- better chance in the last 20 minutes. 
do you see that level of disruption? And I'm wondering if the coaches make the changes simply to give players game time, when actually you could leave players alone, let them play the 80 minutes, and then you'd be better putting them on the bench the following week and giving the next guy a whole game the following week rather than, you know, this, you know, play 60 minutes one week, 20 minutes the next. I don't think that works as well. Again, if it's part, this is part of the learning process. And if over this series of six, seven games that they can master that or, or improve the way they're doing it, they're going to get the benefit when they go to the championship later in the year. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see if it does change and whether anyone takes a blind bit of notice of what we're seeing. There's a lot of trials and discussion at a world rugby level around yeah. the number of placements in terms of a you know a, a community game and a professional game. Yeah. There's um, certainly driven around player welfare and injury, trying to make the game more aerobic rather than, as yeah. you say, Paul, you know, you being able to change, you know, sixty percent of your team or whatever on the hour mark. I, I think the forwards are different. Um, yeah. Everybody wants to play all the time, but clearly people are being trained for for sixty minutes. We want to change that as a tactic, and and that will change the shape and the the bodies and everything, and that you know safety. But the data will, will lead them in that direction. Well, we are a, a progressive sport. It's an evolving sport that always moves on. And you know, trends change, probably driven by law changes, in all honesty. So we'll see what, see what happens there in, in, in the future. But back to this weekend, Paul, you and I on duty at Bridge Hall, as I say, Stirling versus Ayers, 7.45 on Friday evening. And then the other game this weekend is Barrymore Bears at home to Southern Knights at 2pm on Saturday. So... Um, we'll look forward to, to finding what happens and, and watching the, the, the continued uh, product that's enthralling to watch. It's, uh, it's good fun to be part of uh, in the Fosrock Super 6 Point Series. Listen, thanks for your time. I look forward to, to the games at the weekend. All the best. Thanks. Thanks once again for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks to Hugh Dan McLennan and to Paul Mitchell and to JP Doyle. That's probably tested us all cognitively. Uh, and just get a flavour of how difficult it is to be a referee. There's no podcast next week, but join us the following week as we announce the men's Scotland National Tour squad for Chile and Argentina.